Come Christians, join to sing loud praise to Christ our King. So this morning we begin our worship together in song, Sing Praise to God Who Reigns Above. It's printed in your bulletin, and if you're not familiar with the tune, it's hymn number six. So church, let us stand and sing together. Grace and peace of Christ be with you. Also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church. Uh, there is a friendship pad on the uh, this end of the pew near the center aisle, and we'd love to have you take it and fill it out and let us know that you're here with us today, whether you're a regular or whether you're visiting with us today. There's a uh, information sheet, a connections in our bulletin. You'll see that our parish nurses are doing blood pressure checks right after this service in the prayer room over here around behind near the elevator. So you can, make, you can do that during the break between services. Also, if you're interested in helping to work on our anniversary celebration as a church, in the year 2017, we turn 100 years old. And so well, we have a committee that's been brainstorming about that. But today's the day, then that committee is going to start working in subcommittees. And so if you would like to be part of that, you are, we don't want you to be left out if you want to be part, but this is the week to show up. That would be at 11.15 after second service in Tank Hall, and you can start working in one of those subcommittees planning for that. You can see the more information is there in the bulletin about what those committees are. The third Friday group invites you to join them this Friday for a wonderful catered Mexican food picnic at Three Arch, uh, uh, Three Arch what do you call that? Clubhouse's Lawn. Clubhouse's Lawn. And it, we did it last year there. It was great fun, and the food was wonderful. But you do have to sign up by today. Since it's a gated community, we have to have your name ahead of time so we can turn it in. Uh, we have some more copies available of Jesus, A Pilgrimage, which is the book that some of us are reading because of Jerry's book, uh, trip to Israel next year. You'll also see that next week, as part of Father's Day, you have an opportunity to sponsor a child at the Chumayini Children's Orphanage in Kenya. Many of us have sponsored World Vision children in uh, Ni the Nairobi area of Kenya, and a lot of those children are aging out and the, are kind of being phased out of the program as they grow up. And so if you're looking for a new child to sponsor, this is one of the possibilities that you could do here. Um, I'd also like to tell you that this weekend, Carl Post passed into the presence of the Lord um, there will be a service for Carl on July 7th, and that will be at 11 o'clock in the morning. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. 
Lord God, we have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept in heaven for us. We make this affirmation in this very troubled world. We are aware that we belong to you, but that there is much in our world that is deeply broken and in need of salvation. We ask that you will plant the joy and the hope of your salvation, the reality of your kingdom, in our hearts and minds this morning as we worship you. Open our hearts for your word and for the singing of your praises, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Please join me for a call to worship. You know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand and worship the Lord together.
of our faith, church. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Amen. Let us be seated.
the book of Colossians, Paul summarizes our call to a, Christ, a life following Christ and also calls us to tell the truth about ourselves in confession. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so we tell the Lord the truth about ourselves and the ways in which we fall short of what he has called us to be and to do. Let us pray responsively. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have led us into the light. We thank you for sending the Savior to call us from death to life. We confess that we were dead in sin before we heard his call. But when we heard him, like Lazarus, we arose. But, O oh, Father, the grave clothes still bind us, old habits that we cannot throw off, old customs that are so much a part of our lives that we are helpless to live the new life that Christ calls us to live. Give us strength, O oh, Father, to break the bonds. Give us courage to live a new life in you. Give us faith to believe that with your help we cannot fail. All this we ask in the name of the Savior, who has taught us to come to you. And so now in silence, we continue the silent confessions of our hearts. We pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. My friends, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. For we have clothed ourselves with the new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And in that renewal, there is no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'd like to introduce Cindy Campbell from our Mission Outreach Committee. Good morning. I'm really excited this morning to get an opportunity to speak to you a little bit about our um, Mission Outreach Committee and one of the missions, the local missions, which we are doing, which is serving dinner to the homeless at the ASL sleeping location here, right here in Laguna Canyon. Um, in the connections each week, you guys may notice that there's feeding the homeless and it's been in there for a long time. So I thought maybe it might be nice for you to hear a little bit more about what's involved in that. Many of you may not know that we have three, um, we have four teams that serve dinner um, three to four nights every single month to between 50 and 80 people each time. So we've been doing this for almost six years. So it's been quite a long mission for us in our local community. I'd like to enjoy you, invite some of you to um, join this mission with us. Um, it doesn't have to be a permanent commitment. It can be a try at one time situation, or it can be a substitute that could fill in on one of the teams, which would mean you just take the place of somebody that's either on vacation or they're sick, or maybe they just need a, a break that month. So um, it's really not very difficult. Each team works pretty independently. Um, on some cases, you might be asked to fix a main course for, say, 25 people, or maybe a salad, green salad or fruit salad for 30, or maybe bring rolls. And you have to be there by 6.30, and this is in the canyon, and no later than 6.30, and it lasts about an hour by the time we finish serving. So it's not a real long commitment. Um, our meals are served on the second, third, and fifth Tuesdays of every month, and the second Friday. So those are the different team nights that we're working. And for those parents out there, this could be a really good opportunity for um, you to take your junior high or high schooler, for them to reach out to the community, give them opportunity to see what it's like to help others that are in need, and they can also get community service hours for this. So it's a double win for you guys. Um, the shelter depends on the generosity of um, local churches like ours and businesses and individuals to provide these meals. And so through the Lord's grace, every night of the month, they get a home-cooked meal in that shelter. So it's just kind of a miracle that that's been happening. It's been going on ever since the shelter's been opened. The homeless are very grateful to have a home-cooked meal every night, and it's a good opportunity for us to interact with those people that a lot of us see walking on the street that are getting meals up at the shelter in the canyon. Right now, I'd like to ask anybody in here who has done one of these meals at the ASL to stand up. So if you've served a meal, made a meal, would you please stand up so the rest of the congregation can see who has done this? So it would be an opportunity for others to ask you what their experience has been like. So if you see them walking around or something, you could ask them. And I'm going to be available also after the service. So if you're interested in signing up as maybe a substitute or just to try it one time, we'd sure like to get your name. Also, I can't leave without mentioning that the Lord says 95 times in the Old Testament and 20 in the New that it is our call to help the homeless and needy. So I'm giving you this challenge that this is your opportunity to answer this call. Thanks a lot.
My steps in your word. And um, you got to know the word if you're going to have your steps ordered in that word. And so one of our purposes here in worship and our Bible studies is to have our minds, our inner lives shaped and formed and our hearts renewed in the truth of God's word. I want to read from three different passages from the New Testament this morning. One, the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 7. And the themes that Jesus spoke to in this passage are reflected in, in almost all of the letters of the Apostle Paul, from Romans, uh, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, and Peter in his first letter and second letter. These are themes that seek to direct and order our steps in the power of God's Word and Spirit. Mark 10, verse 14, on page 42 in the New Testament. Then Jesus called the crowd again and said to him, to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is from within the human heart that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, 
adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. In 1 Thessalonians, near the end of the canon that uh, Paul wrote, although some say that uh, the Thessalonian, 1 Thessalonians was the uh, earliest epistle that, that Paul wrote, but I want to read from the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, page 204. Chapter 4, finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that, you, that as you have learned from us how you ought to live and to please God, as in fact you are doing, you should do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from fornication, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this rejects not human authority, but God, who also gives his Holy Spirit to you. And from 1 Peter chapter 4, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same intention, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin so as to live for the rest of your earthly life, no longer by human desires, but by the will of God. You have already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation. And so they blaspheme but they will have to give an accounting to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. O oh Lord, um, the writer of Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, Dividing up soul and marrow, opening up the deepest intentions and thoughts of our hearts and minds, revealing to us our brokenness and the line of sin that runs through each one of our hearts. So we ask this morning that you will give us the courage to speak the truth in love and to listen in love to what your word brings to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of my evening habits oftentimes is to uh, go walking with my dog up on top of the world, the community, the neighborhood in which we live. And um, 
from time to time I've had this experience while I'm out walking, it's getting dark and uh, a car will drive up beside me and the driver of the car will roll down the window and I, immediately I began to get nervous. <laughs> and I confess, I watch to see if there's a gun sticking out the window. I'm not sure what I would do exactly if that were the case. Maybe run for my life. But Thursday evening, a car drove up beside me. A couple. A man looked at me with a, really a beautiful smile on his face and it relaxed me immediately. And he said to me, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, sure. What is it? He pointed out across the valley the row of houses over there. He just said, what are those houses over there? After I established exactly what houses he was talking about, I said, oh, that's Aliso Viejo. And I wanted to say to him, I didn't, but I wanted to say to him, we all watched that community built. You should have seen all the earth movers that were out there. You should have listened to the, to the roar of the earth being moved for years. 60,000 people moved in there. We were so happy when it was finished. And he said, he said to me, oh, well, you know, we were just tooling around Laguna Beach. And I said, well, welcome to Laguna Beach. This is a beautiful, wonderful place to live with great schools, with wonderful neighborhoods, with all kinds of architecture. It's a neat place to live. And as he began to drive away, he gave me this even more beautiful smile and said, this is a beautiful community. That little exchange caused me to remember many of my thoughts and feelings the year when I was considering moving to Laguna Beach, I could tell that his smile was filled with envy and I almost felt guilty for living here. <laughs> I started thinking about some of my thoughts and feelings when I considered a call to live in Laguna Beach. Many of my friends at the former church, the La Cañada church, they teased me for several months. How can you move to that evil place? We know all about that place. L.A. Times had a picture of some restaurant in town here where the owner had had a camel on the inside of the restaurant. 
And everyone remembered the, the December Laguna Canyon Music Festival, a, a smaller version of Woodstock, and everything that went along with that. And some of the rubbish is still buried out in the canyon, I understand. It was during that time that Chief Purcell busted Timothy Leary here in town. And I thought to myself, you know, Laguna Beach now is known not just as an artist colony, but as a place where you go to party, to have a holiday. Not like Las Vegas where you go and what you do there stays there. But nevertheless, a community that is filled with celebration, with interesting people, with highly educated people, with beautiful homes, with a great school district, and all of that with churches at the very center. And I began to wonder, do I really want to try to raise a child in this city where there are all the temptations of money, sex, power, drugs, sex, rock and roll? Almost didn't accept the call because of that. One of my mentors in the Senate of Southern California and Hawaii. He said, Jerry, what you must do is that you must go to Laguna Beach and go native. <laughs> Just soak into this culture. Become one with those artists and with everything that's going on in the school. And we did. And Laguna Beach lived up to its reputation. <laughs> Wonderful place with all kinds of cross-currents. When I arrived, the party scene was in full-blown full blown practice. And many of the kids in town, maybe the majority, were caught up in alcohol, some in drugs, others in sex. I could not believe it. And the longer I lived here, the, the higher the level of my anxiety and anger became. I thought to myself, you know, Laguna Beach really was not a lot different than La Cunada. The same things were going on there. And they were going on in the church. And there was a, a lot of closet alcoholism there. The bookkeeper of the church, she and her husband would go on periodic toots and drop out. And I began to wonder what is going on until I learned they were both periodic alcoholics. And I would go and sit with them and laugh with them in their home and make every rational argument I possibly could as to why they ought not to be doing that, but they, were, they would drink until they had to be taken to the hospital. And there were all kinds of uh, infidelities between the members of the church. So when I came here, I was thought, well, maybe I've been delivered from all that. 
But the truth is, these were the kinds of things that were going on across the nation, around America. And what it all means is that there's something deeply broken in the human heart. And this is why Jesus and the apostles spoke so frequently about it. And yet it's, it's awkward to speak about these things because the number one uh, characteristic of alcoholism is denial. And no one wants to hear about it. And we're all into social drinking and we enjoy being together and, and all of that. And we know that some really painful things happen in people's lives when you mix the body's chemistry with alcohol, thing, people do things they would not normally do. Did you read the 12-page letter written by the Stanford young lady who went to the fraternity party at Stanford University and was having a great time with her sister, got drunk, left in a black-hot state, with an athlete from the university, found herself raped behind the dumpster. The young man, what, 20 years old? She was 23. Woke, first thing she knew, she woke up at the hospital badly bruised and scratched and wounded. And, and she wrote this 12-page letter that's posted everywhere. It's been a number one topic of conversation. A letter to be written at the trial of this young man who was kicked out of the university, lost his athletic scholarship, thought there was just mutual consent even though they were both drunk, nearly blacked out. In the middle of the night behind a trash dumpster. Got arrested, put on trial, convicted, sentenced to six months. And his dad wrote a letter to the judge says, it's an awful penalty to pay for 20 minutes of activity. That doesn't quite get it right, does it? Some of you know Kenneth Starr, the president at Baylor University, who had to step down as the president at Baylor, the Southern Baptist conservative institution, because the administration was not able to deal with the sexual misconduct of its sports teams and the misuse of alcohol. And this is going on in universities around the country. It's going on in business and in government. Humans mix alcohol with the basic human chemistry of sexual attraction, and you get trouble. And it was the very same way in the first century world, maybe even worse. And that's why Paul and Peter and Jesus spoke about these things. In the ancient world, it got tied up with religion. 
The gods and the goddesses of the Greco-Roman pantheon sponsored their Bacchanalian festivals, Oktoberfest continually. And everyone was expected to participate. And sexual immorality in cities like Corinth and, and Athens and the churches out in what we would consider modern Turkey in the rural hinterland, they were all caught up in them in this. It was a part of religion. And there were these temples where the gods and goddesses were worshipped. And this is where people went to find fertility and prosperity and, and well-being. But you had to swing into the rhythm of the culture. And if you didn't do that, people wouldn't understand. And so Christians began to define themselves as over against that culture and they were criticized and suffered some persecution. And Peter was trying to, to bring encouragement to the Christians who were under that kind of cultural pressure to not back off, to understand that while they may have lived that way in the past in the Gentile pagan world, they were called to a new life, a life in the Spirit, in the pursuit of holiness, which is another way the Bible talks about what it means to be truly human and truly happy. And the world has pursued many ways that have led to destruction and suffering and deep human brokenness. And all of it, Jesus said, not only does it come from the outside with the pressures of the culture, but all of these things well up from deep within the human heart, and the heart needs to be healed. I have a checkered history with alcohol. My dad was so frightened that I might drink. On one occasion, he had a bottle of beer in the refrigerator. My mom and dad were gone. I'd been playing out front. It was a hot summer day, and I was really thirsty. So I went in, and I looked for a drink to take out and drink with some of my buddies. And said, the only thing that there was a, a bottle of beer, a brown bottle of beer. I'll never forget this. I went outside. I opened it up, went outside, sat on the curb, was, I must have been nine or ten years old. <laughs> and there I sat drinking this beer when my mom and dad drove in the driveway. <laughs> my dad uh, knew that alcohol had just about ruined both, of, well, destroyed both of his brother's lives. Almost killed his sister until she became a Christian. He gave me a lecture like I will never forget. My high school years, I knew that I dare not drink anything. I didn't want to disappoint my parents. I didn't want to incur my dad's wrath. So in my little small group of friends, my friendship, my circle of friends uh, uh, diminished throughout high school because Drinking was the number one activity in our high school. Friday nights, we'd drive around and pick up our friends who were so drunk, laying all over the streets, that we took them home. What I didn't realize is that all those earlier years, I was in training to be a real 
powerful codependent trying to clean up the world, to save the world, to rescue you and others. And I worked really hard at it. <laughs> then I got to Princeton Seminary, the citadel of sophistication and civilization and higher education. And the number one thing was smoking tobacco in your pipes. And of course, I wanted to be like them. So I got my pipe. I'll never forget the day I bought the pipe and some tobacco and began to experiment. But all my friends also there were drinking. I mean, Princeton University, after a weekend, the evidences of the alcohol and the, the sexual activity on the campus when all the girls came in from everywhere, it's in the days when women were not allowed at the university as students, but they would come in from all the East Coast colleges, and it, you could tell it had been a bacchanalian immoral feast. The church I worked up in New York City was the, in the very place in Staten Island where the Prohibition Party had been uh, founded. But they left Prohibition behind years before, and even the pastor in this church kept a bottle of vodka or a jar of vodka in his desk that he could sip from throughout the day. And every social gathering have a wonderful meal, but everyone by the end of the meal was plastered. And uh, I wanted to be in rhythm with this community. I wanted to connect with these folks. All the high school kids were a mess. I remember I invited for our high school group a man from New York City to come over. He was a recovering alcoholic, and he spoke about how alcoholics always found on every day of the year, reading the calendar, some reason to celebrate. <laughs> Whether it's Christmas or Easter, there was something to celebrate every day of the calendar, and so he got into the swing of that. I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but I decided I'm going to try this. I missed out on something. I must be missing a lot of fun. And so I began to socially drink. Not a great amount, just socially. Thankfully, my body did not get addicted to it. But what I was addicted to without understanding was my codependency. And I was beginning to get in touch with my powerlessness over people, places, and things, and my inability to control them. This has become such a major issue within the church that Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena has developed a program to train pastors of how to deal with issues of alcohol and drugs. And how to deal with it in their own lives. I have a number of friends that, in which alcohol destroyed their ministries. And they sent out a little publication from the school. And lo and behold, there was a picture of the former president, Rich Mao, who preached here. Who's one of my dear friends. For whom I have great respect as a great theologian and leader in the, in the world church prince of a man. And in this little 
piece and on a video, he introduced himself. Hi, my name is Rich and I am an alcoholic. Gee, many crickets, I thought. If he's an alcoholic, what are we going to do? He was a member of the more evangelical Reformed Church of America, taught on the faculty of Calvin College. He, he shared that the Reformed Church is, while orthodox in its doctrine, prides itself in the freedom to drink and smoke. And he said, I began to drink more and more when I was on the faculty at Calvin. They gave me a sabbatical to go write a book at Princeton University. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's the worst place they could have sent him. <laughs> he says, I went there and I was going to work on this book for a year without the, the complications of teaching and administration. He said, what I primarily did as I launched that year was that I drank alcohol all the time. And he was hiding bottles around the house and drinking secretively until one day Phyllis' wife caught him. And all he could do is look up at her with tears and say, Phyllis, I'm an alcoholic. And she asked him, what are you going to do about it? And that night, 40 plus years ago, he went to his first AA meeting. And his recovery began. And he confessed just like I discovered by finally checking myself into the Al-Anon program and going to meetings once or twice a week for 20 years. That he learned more theology and grace and compassion and, than he'd ever known otherwise and joy came into his life and he was set free. I began to feel finally uh, sorry for people who weren't alcoholics because they couldn't see any reason to go to meetings. You ever wonder what goes on out here in the canyon, at the canyon club? You drive out there early in the morning, do you see all these cars packed in there? It's recovering alcoholics going to meetings. Some of you do. I thought I was sophisticated when I could enjoy a glass of scotch at Christmas time. My doctor used to send me a bottle of scotch up, put it on my front step around Christmas time. I love that. Finally, I said to one of my lady alcoholic friends in the church here, she used to sit years ago right on this front row with her maid and two kids. She said, Jerry, I admire you so much. You can have one drink and that's enough. She said, but for me, if I can have one drink and it's good, the whole bottle would be better. Her husband told me he's coming back from Hawaii and his seatmate offered to buy him a Mai Tai. And all he could do was say to the guy, no thanks, I want to get home before next month. <laughs> There's a lot of this kind of thing in our community, closeted. 
with people struggling with all the complications of addictions. What I learned and what I think Peter and Paul and even Jesus would instruct us in that life begins when we get in touch with our powerlessness, with our weakness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That spiritual life begins when we get in touch with that, of facing the fact that our life becomes unmanageable because of our relationships that we're trying to shape up or because of what we're taking into our bodies or what is bubbling up out of our hearts. It's a messy picture but life can be very unmanageable. And what the 12-step programs tell us is that that is when recovery begins, when you face the truth. I know probably none of you going to invite me to another party that you have. Because here's this judgmental preacher. I don't want to come across that way. But in the process, I learned, I discovered that there's a power greater than myself who could restore me to sanity. And I was going insane trying to shape people up and trying to control you. But through going to all these meetings, I discovered that I had a, a community of friends much larger than this church who respected me and loved me. I was so embarrassed. I was afraid that if some of you saw me in one of these meetings, you would think, what kind of a weak pastor do we have? Of course, I saw you there too. A lot of you. There are a lot of folks into recovery in this congregation, and we're learning a whole lot. It's, I think in many ways this is the heart and core of the recovery and the vitality of our church. I learned that third step and how important it is. Made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Just to turn my will and my life over to God and trust Him to fill me up and empower me to do His will. Praying only for knowledge of His will and the power to carry it out. And that's what Peter and Paul are talking about. This is the will of God for you. Your sanctification. That you may be made holy and happy and productive. So that you can use all of your God-given gifts to build up life and not to destroy yourself. Today my heart is filled with gratitude that I can stand in the freedom of the Spirit, share my own experience, strength, and hope, and weakness, and invite you, if you don't go to any of these meetings, I'm not suggesting that, and if you're not an alcoholic, pardon this sermon. I don't think everybody's an alcoholic, and I'm not a teetotaler. I enjoy life just like you do. But we can become so involved in the processes and the substances of life. That's what licentiousness and sensuality is all about. That it can swallow us up alive before we know it. And we better wake up before it's too late.
and now I'm sounding like my dad. <laughs> Today is his 103rd birthday. He's been gone since he was 78. And he had a lot of issues and problems. But I'm so grateful he laid the law down to me and told me the truth about life. If anyone wants to talk about any of these things, I'm hanging around here, Steve, Kathy, others. Don't miss this as an opportunity to talk about what's really going on with you, in you, and find out how you can get help. The church ought to be the place where we offer help for one another because we're all in this together. Join with me in our affirmation of faith. Stand with me, if you would. Words from the Heidelberg Catechism in our Book of Confessions. Together. I am called Christian because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in His anointing. I am anointed to confess His name, to present myself to Him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. We call him our Lord because not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, he has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil and has brought us body and soul to be his very own. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
Let's stand as we sing this verse four that was written right before Newton passed away. The earth shall soon dissolve my snow. The sun forbear to shine. pray. We thank you, Father, for sending your only Son, Jesus Christ, to live among us full of grace and truth. He made you known to all who would receive him, sharing our joy and sorrow, and he healed the sick and was a friend to sinners. We pray for those parts of the world that need your peace, even as we gather here for worship this morning. We especially pray for Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. Have mercy and bring peace and justice. And this morning, we think of the violence and loss of life that took place last night in Orlando. We lift up the, the victims and their families. We pray for comfort and peace. And for the city of Orlando, may you pull them together as a community. And may the local leaders provide strength and resolve for their people. Take now these gifts that we bring and use them for your glory. Make us even bolder in our love for our neighbors 
and use us to lead others to the truth of your gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. We will now sing the Lord's Prayer. You'll find the insert in your bulletin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we from the time of trial and deliver us from prayer for the Ephesian church. May it be for us. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.